There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold the doves, he said, Get these out of here. Who dare you turn my how dare you turn my father's house into a market? And his disciples then remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his own body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the reading of the gospel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Some people say that emotions are all bad. And others say that there are no bad emotions. It's only what you do with that emotion that is of sin. The sin or good deed is in what we are doing. And so Jesus, according to William Barclay, a commentator on many of the New Testament uh, scriptures, says that Jesus acted out of anger. Starting with the premise that anger is a feeling and is all acceptable anger was especially in Jesus because he was angry at something that was wrong. And we will see that. Verse 2. After Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, they stayed there for a short time. Kind of amazing because, you know, we talk about Mary and the brothers uh, that they weren't together very, but it says they spent something like six days together. And what was the event that they had left? In John chapter 2, it was the miracle at Cana. The miracle that showed the glory of the Lord. In John verse 1 and following Jesus had changed the water into wine and the text tells us that Jesus showed his glory 
and the disciples and believed in him. Now, a lot of us in our Sunday school teaching and in our learning have said, you know, the miracles were all to show the power of Jesus and the power of God and that Jesus was God. And in this miracle, there are other reasons for showing uh, a miracle, and that was to proclaim and to evidence the glory of the Lord. Well, miracles will show more than power, and that is that there is a, a glory or an aura or a, 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 a brightness of the light that made people pay attention. In this instance, John points out that he was showing his glory, and it's almost like wearing a halo or a, a glimmer all around his body, if you will. And like many of us, after a miraculous event, there is a time of great respect, honor, and closeness to the Lord. We are moved, and we believe even more in our Lord and Savior Jesus. So as I shared in the Bible class this morning, and some of you knew that in the spring and April I had a double bypass. And after that surgery, and even beforehand when all my family gathered together in that uh, pre-op room, I was moved to tears because of the closeness I felt with my family. And afterwards, with the doctors who had cared for me, and all of the, my internists and my cardiologists and my surgeon all prayed for me. And I was really feeling close to my Lord and Savior. Still didn't believe that I needed the surgery. Didn't have any pain, didn't have any heart attack. Uh, and so when I had gone to get a test, came back home and told my wife, I ate the test. Didn't even break a sweat. And then the phone rang. Don't pick up anything more than five pounds. Don't exercise. Don't drive. Don't do anything. And get off of your blood thinner. And then it was serious. But after the surgery was over, again, I felt so close to my family, friends, the medical staff. And it was a glory story, if you will, in my life. And obviously, as I share this with you, it's still very close to my heart. That was not meant, but it was a good <laughs> emphasis. You are moved often enough by events in your life. Strong, touching times that the glory of the Lord shows. Well, back to Cana and Caperna. We learn that in the entourage that of Jesus, the disciples and his family, from Cana to Capernaum, there is a view for them to go to the feast. What feast was it? It was the feast of the Passover. And the mothers, brothers, and disciples were going to be caravanning into Capernaum. Indeed, the verse tells us that they went, uh, Jesus went on to Jerusalem. And John brings this passionate experience and exercise that a man was to do this at least once a year and if he was farther away, at least once in his lifetime. Entering the temple, what does Jesus see? He has a vision 
of what was happening in this great court of the temple. I want you to dream along with me as I describe it. Don't close your eyes. When Jesus gets close, he's already hearing a lot of the noise that's going on. He sees at the beginning of this court like a marketplace that you have, a farmer's market or the agora of uh, Greece, or in this uh, Roman situation, the forum and the meat markets and the uh, gathering of people with all of their uh, wares to sell. Dreaming along, he can hear the scenes and the noises that are going on inside. He hears the sheep leeching and the lambs, and he hears the uh, steers and the animals uh, moving away and, and uh, making their sound. He enters to see a lot of people with multicolor of, of uh, dress and uh, gowns and from some different nationalities as well, because there were foreigners that had come in respect to celebrate as well. He moves into the gateway, and uh, he sees there the, the men and the women and the noise that was happening in that particular place. No doubt the children were running around, and the moms were trying to corral those children and get them to stay close to them. And someone barks out, I got a great deal for you. Three quarters for a dollar. I'll change your money so that you can make an offering to the Lord. He hears somebody else uh, jingling their coins and uh, playing with those coins and saying, you know, I'm a money changer and I'll help you in this particular offering of your sacrifice to the Lord. Somebody argues out and says, no, I got a better deal for you. And up ahead there's a whole throng of people ready to go into the next part of the temple. And he can also see the smoke from the animals and the uh, sacrifices that are going on. And Jesus had enough of all of this scene. With or without permission, he's in charge. He goes over and picks up three, four, five cords or ropes. I don't know how many. And if any of you were Boy Scouts, you were taught how to weave them together and to make a stronger rope. But he left the pieces at the end open and he starts swinging it. Get out of here, he says. Go to the exit. Get these animals out of here. Stop making my house a house of trade. He swings the scourge and he goes over to the money table and he turns it over in front of all of the money chains. And they aghast. And they try to gather up their coins and get out of there. Jesus had enough. In an applied sense, with this beginning event at the beginning of the Gospel of John, when the other Gospel writers put it right toward the Passion time, and that's a good time for us to now have it in our Lenten season. In this applied sense, Jesus announces he wants to cleanse the temple of that day from all the trade and bartering and the noises and sacrifices. I want a sacrifice of the heart, he says, and not of animals. 
I want people to give themselves. I want to cleanse the whole world, Jesus says. I want to cleanse your body and life and make it more spiritual, more prayerful. Oh, yes, in our church we do have rituals like confirmation and baptism and marriages and funerals. And we solemnize those events with prayers and with spiritual settings. And he says, I want these to be done not with tens of thousands of dollars of expense, not with a whole bunch of flowers that will die in the day, not with a lot of seeing, tasting, and feeling, but I want you to know in your heart that you are giving yourself to the Lord. Yes, in our church body we have sacred teachings that mean a lot to us. They were formulated by the fathers, Luther, Melanchthon, Andreas. And he says, keep those spiritual too. Don't get so caught up in the formulation of these doctrines and teachings that you miss the inner spirituality of what those doctrines and teachings mean. You, you hear that special emphasis? At the seminary, I can still remember my first year walking from the dormitory to the classroom and then one of the students from Chicago said, oh, we're doing the splitting hairs in these things. And you know how hard it is to split a hair. That sometimes people were so occupied with how many hairs were on the top of a man that Jesus knew how many were there. And the classmate cried out like Jesus said, I've had enough. He said, why are we splitting hairs so much over these things instead of dealing with uh, the important things of, of the ministry? There are practical matters as well in our church body and in our practices. And those of you who have been around for a while, you can remember back to the time when dancing was verboten, right? No round dancing, and certainly don't get close. And the seminary finally let us do some dancing, but it was at arm's length. And, and it was square dancing, or the like. You can smile along because you can remember those days, too. Oh, my sister came home from catechism class one day, and she was in tears. What are you crying about? Pastor said dancing was sinful. And my mom and dad, who were good dancers, <laughs> they said, well, this time you don't have to listen to Pastor. <laughs> you know how those stories go. In practical matters of faith, we have been so caught up in these things and going to it. And one day in our church body, buying insurance was also verboten, forbidden because you weren't trusting in God. And so the man who loses his house to a tornado or to a hurricane says, I wish I would have had insurance. Doing family genealogy, going back to Michigan in the 1850s, my great-great-grandfather had a hardware 
And he was in charge of the mutual Lutheran insurance. I'm wondering how he got away with that in those days. But, you know, that was rural days, and they needed to bond together in order to help one another to overcome the great catastrophes that happened, and fire was one of them, whether it was in Chicago or St. Louis or, or Detroit, the fires that would destroy everything that they had. Jesus got angry because this was the high feast Passover, very significant. It was Exodus, the whole book of Exodus, and especially those chapters that dealt with the killing of the lamb. And he himself is the land that was shed for our sins. He gave himself. You know the story of Abraham and giving of his son Isaac. It amazes me every time I read it. Could I give my son in sacrifice? God did. God sacrificed his son for you and me. He provided that we would not have to be sacrificed to hell. Indeed, God wants the house of worship and the temple of our bodies to be a house of prayer. Some churches are called house of prayer church. A lot of times they're non-denominational or charismatic churches. I don't know if there are any Lutheran, maybe one Lutheran church that's House of Prayer, Lutheran Church. It's a good name. And because it tells what a church should really be about. Prayer. Prayer and giving of our life to the Lord. Living out the Passover in our life and giving ourselves to the Lord. Not in changing money or arguing over pennies, but giving our whole life and sacrifices to the Lord. Well, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples, his brothers, his sisters, uh, his mother. I don't know about sisters. Uh, but he, he uh, wanted them all to know the business of the Lord. Ah, yes. Wasn't that one of the passages when he was 12 years of age? He went to the temple and he was learning from the scribes and all the elders, and when his mother and dad asked him what was going on and why are you saying, he said, I must be about my father's, what? Business, yeah. And so business is more than the bookkeeping or a uh, management, but it was about the essence, the, uh, the core of what Jesus and religion was about, the father's sacrifice of his son, the Passover, saving his people out of the slavery to sin and into the freedom of the gospel. Not only does the learning and the teaching of the elders, but the assuming of the role of Messiah. He was going to be the savior of the world, even as his name at Christmas time tells us. He saved. He was about his father's business of saving the world, as his name foretold, and he embodied in himself. He saves us. Now, in that very glorious moment, Jesus steps forward, and he does the saving. He wields those 
scourge and those ropes, and he chases everybody out in order to cleanse the temple. And he wants to keep his spiritual church here, 2012, for himself. A place of prayer, cleansing. And many churches do have a practice of having a prayer chain or a uh, telephone line where you pray for each other. And we'll be doing that after the sermon. And we have a pastor in Shreveport. Uh, a, he has really become a close friend of mine in that we talk maybe every other day. But he's very ill of health. And his, he's not able to get to church that often. But he will spend time on the telephone. He gets phone calls from pastors around the United States in town, the elders of the church, and other friends, and, uh, other ministers from other religions, and they have caught on. And some of their members have picked up this habit of praying for other people. And his role is to help make a house of prayer for people's lives and churches. In that glorious moment, Jesus steps forward. And he takes the place of the Lamb, cleanses the temple, and makes us clean in his forgiveness. God found that sacrifice acceptable as a substitute. And he reminds us that our business is not a lucrative business. And that skipping church for business is still not acceptable. He finds in himself an understanding and a father's smile on the work of Jesus, the Savior. And he finds in himself ability to give acceptance. Yeah. One time when I was with a friend out at the lake, and he uh, pulled out a cigarette and started smoking, and I really didn't criticize him didn't condone it either, but the friend lit up the cigarette, and then he uttered a cuss word, and he kind of looks over at me to see how I'm going to react. Recently, he wrote in a letter that he remembered that, that in spite of what he was doing, I accepted him. And that's the reason that I bring this example, is that God knows what we have done and are doing and he has a way of accepting and including us into his business, the church. His business of the church is to go into the whole world and to make believers out of everyone. Indeed, our Lord Jesus embraces us when we should be rejected, criticized, condemned, he finds a way to smile on you and me and love us and forgive us and share with us his intimacies. God doesn't just embrace us, but he gives not a human touch, but he gives a divine touch in which he does wrap his arms around us. It's not a kiss of betrayal but it's a kiss of welcoming into his church, into his house of prayer.
And so, yes, the title of the sermon is House of Prayer. Amen.